Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. Hello and welcome back. I'm really glad to be here with all of you. It means so much that you tune in every month. Today, I am joined by Julie Lithcott-Hames. Julie believes in humans and is deeply interested in what gets in our way. Her work encompasses writing, speaking, teaching, mentoring, and activism. A former Stanford Dean of Freshmen and undergraduate advising, Julie is the New York Times best-selling author of How to Raise an Adult, which gave rise to a popular TED Talk. Her second book, the critically acclaimed and award-winning prose poetry memoir, Real American, illustrates her experience as a Black and biracial person in white spaces. Her third book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, has been called a groundbreakingly frank guide to being a grown-up. I hope that you'll listen in with us and that you enjoy the episode. By the way, Julie and I got started and we got right into a flow while we were getting set up for this podcast interview. And so it's going to feel like we start kind of mid-conversation um, because we didn't really get started with a proper intro. So jump in with us. Let's go. I want to also just let you know that um, in the wake of Buffalo and a few other big events, some of your talks really held me. I was online and you were one of the the people whose voices I was listening to. Oh, wow. So, um, um, I think one of my greatest fears is that we're going to become inured to this more than we already are. Yeah. That's mine too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I yeah. want to welcome us to, 
to bring that into this conversation wherever we feel that mm-hmm. it needs to be. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think being silent about it, like I've been calling it functional dissociation. I don't know that it's functional anymore, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Yeah. You, it begs the question, what does functional mean? You know, what is it? Are we just, or is just merely functioning the standard that we're aiming for, uh, which is sort of barely, you know, substance, uh, not substance. What am I trying to say? It's a subsistence level of living. Like we don't want to just be functioning, going through the motions, you know, inhale, exhale, move body. Yeah. We want to do more than that. We want to be living. We want to be flourishing. And is it possible to flourish as a community of humans when routinely humans are being massacred and there seems to be no end in sight? It triggers our fight, flight, flee response. And, you know, so we're in this perpetual state of heightened fear and anxiety. What do we do? And it's very rational to freeze. And um, um, our ancestors lived by doing that, right? Exactly. And so, but they didn't live in constant threat. Yeah. And the threats we face now in the 21st century are omnipresent and global because we learn about all the bad things happening with notifications on our technology. So we get that sort of, oh no, that terrible thing happened in Buffalo and everybody knows about it. So we're all feeling Buffalo, just as we were all feeling Uvalde and we were all feeling et cetera, et cetera, going back. And so we just can't ever escape it and return to a level of, okay, I'm safe. We're safe. We're moving on. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's, oh, well, should we just dive in? Cause I feel well, like I thought we had, well, we're, we're, rec- we are <laughs> recording, but yeah. I, I hadn't started with a, with an invite, but, um, yeah. uh, yeah, let's just keep that. I think that's all important. And let me just introduce you to my folks who are listening. Good. I'm here today with Julie Lithcott Hames. Julie is the best selling author of How to Raise an Adult. Uh, Real American, my memoir on being black and biracial in white spaces. Oh, I haven't found that one yet. I'm gonna. Mm. I'm really glad to know about it. Mm. And then your third book, which is the one that introduced me to your work, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. And this book, like, Julie, I think there's so much about your work that is so needed in this time. I think we've already hit on it with where we started this conversation. And I don't even know where to begin, but I think like all of this country, all of this world needs to learn how to grow up. Which begs the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to grow up? What does think, it mean to grow up? I think fundamentally, the book we're referencing, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, is long. Because adulthood is long, if we are lucky. And and if we're well. Um, um, That's an important but, piece right there. Right? If, we're well. if we're well. I mean, what I mean is adulthood is the opposite of childhood. And, you know, if we survive childhood, we're adults, period. And... Um, when I hope that adulthood is a series of, uh, decades in which we are well and able, uh, within our limitations and the context of our life, you know, to figure out who we are and what we want to go be that person 
And there's a lot of privilege in that possibility, but Mm -hmm. I still offer it as an invitation to everybody. For all of us, there's a next choice. What am I doing next? And is it what I know to be in furtherance of my truth or is it what other people expect or am I doing it in reaction to, to other people? And I'm just constantly in my work trying to urge us to hear that inner voice that if we quiet the voices of the expectation of others and we can actually hear our own voice, we can ask it, what would I do if it was just up to me? You know, mm. if nobody laughed, if nobody judged, if nobody hurt me. If there wasn't any shame. If there wasn't any shame, um, if they loved me no matter what, if I love myself enough not to care what other people or worry about what other people thought, what would I do? Oh, we're talking about belonging. <laughs> right. Belonging to the self. I yeah. think it's uh, who am I? What do I know to be true about this self? Can I accept it? Can I love myself in the presence of it? Are there things I want to work on? Great. Are the things that I can accept as innately me and embrace, you know, let me belong to myself because when we belong to the self, at least in my experience, then we belong everywhere because we take the self-loving self with us wherever we travel to meetings, into a grocery store, out onto the road, into the workplace, into relationship. We carry this self-loving self, which becomes a, forms a bit of a protective barrier, bubble, cushion between us and whatever might come at us. It helps us discern the rest of the world. Say that again? It helps us to discern the rest of the world. Okay. Like it, it gives us a way of, um, like, what are we reading when we, that, not just reading like in books, but like, what are we reading when we look out in the world? Right. Yeah. Right. Because we read things through the lens of how we see ourselves. So if we get right, right with ourselves, then we can be more likely to see things as they are. That's right. As opposed to through the lens of our own pain and shame and insecurity and need and want and lack and all of that. So what I would boil all of that down to, and when we said, you know, what does it mean to live? And, you know, are we living? Are we, are we surviving? Are we making it? Uh, You know, I think fundamentally it's be who you need to be without trampling on anybody else. Mm. Can you say that again? (laughs) I just, I I, want to like, let our listeners hear that. I love that. And I want to offer to listeners before I repeat it, something I should have said at the start, which is as Rebecca and I chat, listener, thank you for joining us. Thank you for making us a part of your day or night. Notice what comes up in your body as we talk. Things may come up, triggers, positive reactions, all of it. Your body's going to send you clues about what's happening for you as we speak And that's valid. Notice it. Take it forward into tomorrow, Mm. into the weekend, into the fall. You know, take it with you because these are clues that we've said something that's really relevant to you if your body has a reaction. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to say that you asked me to repeat. I did. I did. I want to go back and rewind, but I can't do that on Zoom. Yeah. It's (laughs) okay. It's our age. It's okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's all right. We no, were- oh, I know what I said. I just got it. Thank you, 54-year-old brain, for just being a little bit logjam, but figured it out. I said, uh, figure yourself out and be that person. Yeah. You without trampling on others. Yes. And that's the piece of regulating our emotions, our interior self in a way we know what's going on for us. So 
if we are angry or upset or afraid, we love ourselves through the noticing of that feeling and validate it to ourselves and and in so doing, prevent us from smacking somebody else in the face or stepping on someone else's toes or being judgmental as hell or nasty or what have you. When we when we approach this as, can I be me without trampling on you? And we practice that actively. We then can show up in the lives of others, strangers, lovers, neighbors, baristas, coworkers, family. People we, we don't even up, like. That's right. We can People we don't even like. We can show up with ease. We can show up with ease, with a presence that is present, but isn't an imposition. Mm. And that is this delicate, beautiful dance. When you see people doing that, yeah, able to be themselves at ease in the presence of others, gracious, graceful, patient, kind, everybody doing their own thing in the I, presence of one another, still caring about each other, but not imposing ourselves on each other. Man, when I'm in communities like that, it's like just being at a higher level. It's like being on the best drug possible. I'm noticing tears in my eyes. Okay. And I'm I'm part of the reason for that is this idea of being with being like ourselves, being truly authentically ourselves. Like you're not compromising anything about yourself. And you're at ease in the presence of others. There's something about that that feels my imagine my imagination, which I think is a really important thing for us. Like, let's not discount imagination. It's super important to get us to new places that we're not yet in. I think of like butterfly goo and the cells and the and a caterpillar that turn it into a butterfly. It's the transformational process. I think imagination is that bridge. And my imagination takes me to if I can imagine a world where we can all be so right with ourselves. And we're not there, not even close to there. But I can imagine a world where people can learn how to do that self-work that you're talking about mm. and how that could really right so much of what's wrong in this world. Amen. You know, and, and I need to give a shout out to my coach, my executive coach back in the day when I was uh, a dean at Stanford in my late 30s, I began working with Mary Ellen Myers, who's, I'm certain, one of the humans whose faces I'll picture when I die, if there's any truth to that, because she taught me a mindfulness practice that allowed me to begin to understand the complex set of interlocking triggers in my being that are all built from experience and probably epigenetics too. And you know, allowed me to notice them and name them for myself and gain some degree of intentionality and deliberateness over what I was going to do with them. Mm. And um, she taught me the practice of mindfulness, the ability to scan myself, almost like I have an invisible operating system where I can just type in what's going on, Julie, and then I get an answer right away. And it's so, it's this internal dialogue that just is the greatest tool in my possession at this point. I can count on it to show up for me, tell me what's going on for me and allow me to regulate in the moment so that I can then choose what to do next. And so I've been on this, I'm 54 now. So I've been on that journey for, well, maybe 15, close to 15 years. It has been life-changing. Mm. I'm I'm hearing in there the tools of, of A, scanning, 
I'm breaking this down for our listeners. Are they scanning through your body? Like what's happening? And then there's this piece of regulating yourself so you could choose what to do next. Mm-hmm. And that right there, that that it's the the responsiveness versus the reactivity. It's the choice. Yeah. It's the space in between. Yeah. Yeah. I think I worried that when my coach was first in- encouraging me to explore this, it was in response to feedback, of course, from colleagues. And I'm black and biracial, and my colleagues were all white people. And the feedback was that I was too emotional and too aggressive. I was like, oh, how original. You're calling the one Black member of your team emotional and aggressive. It was literally that. And my coach wasn't um, siding with stereotype, but she had the obligation to pass on the 360 review feedback. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's acknowledge that's a huge stereotype, you know, but let's forget that and, and ask, how do you feel about your impact? How do you feel about your ability to get things done the way you want? It's such a U-turn right there. Right? It was great. So so learning not to be impulsive or reactive, but rather to thoughtfully respond if I'm responding. And maybe my response is not to respond, you know, but to make a decision after having lovingly um, um, sat with my trigger my emotion for a split second. It doesn't take very long. The more you practice it, the quicker you get it. Like, oh, that's what it is. I mean, often my first thought is, hey, that that's in the past. You can't actually change that. All right. Right. All right. And I'll just tell myself that, you know, like, yep, that sucked, but okay, it's behind us. What are you going to do differently? And that brings me such relief. It just interrupts the pattern that otherwise might be there, which is ruminating over it. And, oh my gosh, and why did that happen? And what could I have done differently? And, you know, just saying like, yep, that's in the past, you know, move. Yep. You're ashamed of that. It's all right. It's there. Move on. Now what? It's such a loving gift to give yourself. It is. That permission to keep moving forward. Yep. Yeah. You know, I just had this weird analogy pop to mind. Go for it. Let me just try it out with you and your listeners. I love weird. Okay. So here (laughs) it is. I love to read the New York Times, the Atlantic Magazine, um, the local newspapers. uh, For example, let me just throw those periodicals out there. Uh, And often I can't in the day. (laughs) And so they stack up. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I've got a stack of Atlantics as if there's going to be some future day when all I need to do is sit down for 12 hours and read the Atlantic. That would be delicious. It would, but it's this burden. It's like, and I've got to read last month's and six months ago and two years ago. Like, when am I going to read today's Atlantic? Right. (laughs) So I've got to let go. Like in order to be able to read today's Atlantic, I have to let go of yesterday's. That's right. Okay. I wish I had read it, but I didn't. But let me not compound that problem. Like by ruminating, oh, I've got to take care of all this past stuff. Let me just try to establish a pattern, a routine that allows me to bring the news today that I want to access today. Yes, yes, yes. You know, what's coming to me as you're talking about this is that like neurobiologically, we're never actually in the present moment. Because by the time that I figure out how I feel in this moment and what's happening, as soon as I do that body scan, the moment is already passed. Right. 
So I'm never actually in the moment. I'm always somewhere in the past. Mm -hmm. And do I want to keep being back there or do I want to figure out like what to do with the information that I already have? I agree. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I'm not a neurobiologist or a neuroscientist. Me neither. I'm a lawyer. who became a dean at a college. And then I became a writer. I have a lot of opinions, but uh, <laughs> you know, my my back, my academic background is not in psychology. And I want listeners to know that everything that I'm saying, I have read uh, in terms of the work of experts or practitioners of some kind. Or, and also I really rely deeply on lived experience to inform yeah. me, particularly with a mindfulness practice in place. I, you know, my own thoughts become a newspaper that I can scan for information. Like my own feelings become evidence. They become data. That's right. And um, and if I can, I want to underscore, lovingly pro- acknowledge them. Not, Julie, why are you, you know, why are you anxious right now? But like, wow, Julie, I say this to myself without spoken word. I say it in my spirit. Wow, you're feeling anxious. Why do you suppose that is? And the answer comes because I've taught that part that I'm listening, right? The answer comes. That's like, it right there. Right? I've taught that part that I'm that listening. I'm listening. Myself trusts myself. Let me frame it that way, right? It gets very it's, meta. It's very meta. And and like I I work with people around relationship issues and developmental trauma and how that's playing out in their relationships all the time. And one of the biggest pieces that like when when it comes down to it at the end of the day, across the board, almost every single one of my clients, and I'll even throw myself in there and most of my peers, is this inner knowing, like like an almost like a reprogramming or a reteaching that you matter. Mm-hmm. No matter how broken, no matter how like that that there's no matter yeah. how much we mess up. And and each of us needs to be able to hold ourselves there. Yeah. Uh, I frequently find myself offering that language when yeah. I'm speaking with audiences, with people about my work. I come down to, particularly when I'm talking to kids who have yeah. been raised in a culture of perfectionism and your worth, your grade, your scores and grades determine your worth. I'm constantly telling high school seniors, you matter. Because you are here. Yes. You're not worth more when you achieve. You're not worth less, or let me rephrase that, worthless mm-hmm. when you're achieving less, right? You're not, you matter. You matter. And I hold that space and the room goes silent. And I hope to, of course, have built credibility with these youth who give you about 49 seconds of their time before they decide you're not an adult worth listening to because you don't get them. And I have to earn that trust and I work hard at that. And if I've got it, then I can go to these places and hold space for them to contemplate mattering. Yes. And then of course, Black Lives has to come into this conversation. Totally. When we say Black Lives Matter, it is a plea, can't Black Lives Matter, comma, two. Of course, all lives should matter, but because all lives don't matter equally, as is evident anytime you pay attention to America, therefore we have to focus on elevating the mattering of Blackness Yes, uh, to those who would discard, disregard, and harm us. Yeah. So we're not trying to be Black supremacists by saying Black Lives Matter. We're saying with this sort of plaintiff 
cry and appeal, can't Black Lives Matter too? And then within our own community, we're saying with tremendous love and self-acceptance and pride, Black Lives Matter. We yes. know it. We know Even it. Even if others yeah. choose a different ideology. Yeah. And I, I think also when I hear Black Lives Matter, I think Black Lives Matter. And I also think, and all these other marginalized communities. Absolutely. Comma too, right? Like it's, it's all of, we all, yeah. Right. We all matter. So right. When there's a house on fire on the street, you don't say all houses matter. You let the firefighters come and douse the house on fire. And there are so many houses on fire in this America because we were, we are a nation that has so much reckoning to do with our origin stories about who matters and who doesn't, right? So there's so many marginalized and we absolutely must in this 21st century work to ensure through lenses of belonging and equity and inclusion, who are we overlooking? Who have we historically not given a shit about? Why is that? What are we going to do to dismantle all of that and rebuild an organization, a school, a government, a family where all do in fact matter? Yes. And, And the pivot in terms of what each of us individually can do, because there's this huge systemic gaping brokenness and we absolutely need to address that. And inside of our lives, we also get to address it. We must. That's where it happens. I actually believe in the power of the individual. I would mm-hmm. go so far as to say my theory of change is at the individual level. So while others will work rightly so on laws and ordinances and regulations and policies uh, and procedures, um and voting for the right person and donating to the right causes within our own spirit. Yes. yes. One of us must do the work. We have to scan that spirit. We have to scan that part, that interior piece and ask it, do I treat, for example, black and brown people with dignity and kindness? Do I treat everyone with dignity and kindness? Yes. Do I interrogate further? Am I treating black and brown people with dignity and kindness? Ask yourself that. Ask, do I treat Asian people with dignity and kindness? Whatever your group isn't, ask yourself about those groups, right? Do I treat trans Disabled people. people. Non-binary, disabled, poor people. Neurodivergent. Apparently poor, right? Anyone different than, right? And let's face it, many of us are prejudiced against our own community because we have internalized the oppression that has been heaped upon us. So we might have to ask, you know, do I think Black lives are equally valid Mm. as a Black person? And that's one of the most painful truths I had to ask myself in my memoir. I reveal it in, in my second book, Real American, right? The inner work is necessary and available. It's free. It doesn't require a course or a trek or a... Uh, bank account, it requires a willingness to interrogate, am I treating everybody? And what, and, you know, let me acknowledge that stereotypes have control over my brain. Yes. But that I am evolved enough to say, ah, stereotype, not going to get me today. Yeah. Discard. The minute you name it, it flees, at least in that moment. And then you can be with the person instead of stereotyping them, you can treat them as you would treat your dearest friend who you haven't seen for a long time and you're just delighted. And then your eyes light with joy and kindness and you're curious. How are you? It's so good to see you. 
you know, tell me about life, right? You can just be with another person again without trampling on them. The stereotypes in us are one of the ways in which we end up trampling on other people. So if we can do the work, the interior work to rid ourselves of this vice grip stereotypes about others have on our spirit and our mind and our way of being, that's how we level up as a human species in this 21st century. Yes. And there's this piece of also noticing the mirror work in there, right? Where is where are these stereotypes? Where are these ideas also trampling on me? Mm. Right? Yeah. Like I'm thinking one thing that's like so prevalent in American culture is this idea, this need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And how when we're not perfect in all the ways when we mess up, how hard that is for so many folks to just show up in. Like I think that's why we have such a hard time with accountability and cancel culture and um why it's hard for people to say I'm sorry when they F something up. Mm. Yeah, it's uh certainly something that I've been working on in my life. Uh certainly was a perfectionist, really taught I had to be perfect in order to be relevant. Um, that I had to be perfect to overcome the stereotypes about m- my group. Yeah. Uh, black folk. Um be so perfect that I would overcome their presumption that I didn't earn the spot that I had gotten. Um, boy, that was a weight. And uh, I've been working through my perfectionism. Um, it made me and makes me a micromanager and therefore hard to be around, uh, reactive, um, scared. And I think on that journey, uh, you know, I can mark where I was uh, and I can mark the growth. I'm still journeying away from perfectionism, but I can see the distance I've traveled and that feels good. And, uh, I really, in your turn, I, I, I put right up front. Um, you're not perfect. Chapter three is you're not perfect. You're here to learn and grow. I'm offering the relief that comes when somebody tells you, guess what? You're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. And the quest for perfection will drive you mad and also <laughs> make you a pain in the ass to be around. And yes. so discard that and instead light up with the reality that, hey, everything I do is a chance to learn and yes. grow from it. So if I screw something up or outright fuck it up, hey, all right, I can't change the past. That's in the past. That happened. But it becomes the, pos- the possibility is there that it'll be a big teacher to you. Like, okay, Hugely. Wow. What am I going to do differently so I don't ever go through that again? You know, or what am I going to do to slightly tweak it so that I can feel better about it next time? Yeah. And what you're doing there again, it, you've talked about this already in this in this conversation, but it's that shift from that like retrospective uh, rumination over what happened to that future focus. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Julie, I'm a I'm mom of two mixed race kids mm. and uh they're they're entering their teen years and so i'm going through a lot of these little reckonings and so well, not a, not little and yes a lot but like every moment of every day feels like a reckoning inside of my life inside of my family um where they're you know the emotions are big the learnings are constant um i'm constantly looking at what can i do differently or uh 
am I, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Right. Like right now, one of my biggest learnings as a mom is actually to pull back and do less and give them more space to make their own mistakes, which, um, in the transition into teenage years is like a big lesson as a parent for me. Um, but man, it's, it's what's, what I'm really noticing is just how much I have to reckon with what parts of me didn't get enough of my own needs met and still need me to show up to meet them so that I can show up to meet my kids so that I can teach them these things. There are so many things that we all need to learn in our, in our youthful years to, to grow up, to be great adults. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to talk about this, uh, the child I was or mm-hmm. how I was raised and the parent I'm trying to be, because I have a laboratory in my own house devoted to that. <laughs> but what I want to notice is yes. you said, if I believe I got this right, I am the mother of two mixed race kids. I did say that. And you haven't shared what your race or ethnicity is. You're right. I haven't. That's really interesting. I'm so a white is- Ashkenazi woman. Um, I don't practice Judaism, but Mm -hmm. uh, my grandparents were both Holocaust survivors on my father's side. So it feels Mm -hmm. racially important. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my partner is mixed uh, of two different Asian races, of Filipino and Chinese. And uh, so our kids carry all of that. Mm, Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful family. I pointed out because whiteness tends to lurk unspoken. It's true. And I really so appreciate you doing that. People tend not to feel the need to say, I'm white. I'm a white mom. Because uh-huh. it's assumed everybody assumes that. Yes. And I do not make those assumptions um, and urge us not to make those assumptions. Uh, there is no norm against which the rest of us are measured. Although you wouldn't know it from reading a single book published in the United States where race is only mentioned if it's a person of color or an or gender is only mentioned if it's not what the gender you expected or et cetera, around so many other identities. And I, I think, think I can count on one hand the books that have actually mentioned race where the author is white and right. mentioning it intentionally. So as you know, because you've read your turn, it comes with a commitment to inclusion at the back that's uh, and it's on the website. It talks about how I have deliberately tried to write a self-help book for all that does in fact envision every single human I could possibly envision in our myriad differences. And so I went in search of stories uh, from uh, myriad, 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 exponentially myriad walks of life um, to make sure, to try to ensure, and there's no way I could completely, but to try my best to ensure that any reader would have cause to say, oh, she had me in mind when she wrote this. Uh, because of inclusive language, because of an example from their community, because of a caveat that says somebody like you might not, you know, be able to access this piece of advice quite as natu- as easily, as smoothly, because, for example, I don't relegate mental health conditions and challenges and situations to an asterisk. I constantly talk about, you know, and if you're dealing with this, then that, if you don't forget, you know, I'm just constantly trying to gather, I'm gathering all the humans as I walk and talk. It's like, come with me, come with me. I got you. I got, yes, you, come, you. Come. come. So that's and why I want to such care in, in there. Mm-hmm. There's such care. Yeah. And I, I, I can't help but thinking about how care is one of the things that really helps us all feel that we belong and that we matter. 
Yeah. Like care is biologically the thing that we're all seeking. Yeah. Right. Indeed. So as a white and Ashkenazi Jewish mother of two kids whose racial phenotype and cultural different than mine, different than yours, um, I have a lot of compassion for you and for them. And I do encourage you to check out Real American, my second book. Oh, I will. It's very vulnerable (laughs) prose poetry memoir Mm -hmm. of uh, my journey uh, to Mm. know this black and biracial self in the presence of a white mom from England, Mm -hmm. a black dad from America, and who grew up in white spaces largely. Um, I think you're going to see a lot in there that's raw about my feelings toward my mother's efforts uh, to do what she felt was right. But I think, you know, she was doing the best she could, but there was a lot that was complicated about it and didn't necessarily land well with me. Um, So I, and of course I grew up, you know, 40 years before your children were born. Um, I was born and uh, so times have changed. And yet a lot of this is really intrinsic. It's still so relevant. The nature of it. So, which brings me to my mom, who's who I wanted to raise when you talked about kind of healing your own childhood self in order to be the present, the parent you want to be. And I said, we have a laboratory here. Mm-hmm. A lab is that my mother, partner, and I bought a house together um, when our kids were brand new babies in order to allow them to attend the air quotes, best public schools. And that became a three generational compact. And uh, we thought it was a financial trade-off. Like, okay, we'll go in on a house together so we can afford this. We did none of the work. We didn't have any boundaries set up. We didn't have any rules and expectations or norms that we set and revisited. None of that happened. And so we just constantly, my mother and I constantly irritated each other. And then we'd have a boiled over rage about every three to six months. And it was painful. And um, it was, um, it was painful. Um we then built an attached cottage so we weren't all under one roof, which gave us privacy with proximity and that's right. relief, uh, but also mutual care. And um, as and my own kids, of course, were growing up during all this. They're now 23 and 21. And I have sat in my mother's cottage as a grown woman where the child in me feels unseen, particularly around emotion. My mother is a stiff upper lip British born woman for whom silence was safety. Mm. I get that that was her necessity, but it has not served me well as her child. And so even to this day, when I come and say the white supremacists are marching in Charlottesville, as I did five Augusts ago, 2017, she couldn't be in emotional space with me. She talked That's about right. Trump. She talked about this. And I was like, mom, can I have a hug? You know, and I'm, I'm asking for a hug, which is the last thing I want to have to ask for. Why? Cause I might not get the hug I need. Oh. Right. Cause that five-year-old knows That's that. Right. right? Yeah. So I finally work up the courage to ask, could I please have a hug? Which is why I have come to tell her the news in the first place. And I'm 49 and she hugs me and I say, mom, this is hard for me. And she says, it's hard for me too. And I put my hands on her shoulder and looked at her in the eye. And I said, you know, mom, with all due respect, even the most woke white woman can't, and I was about to say, can't 
know what it's like to be black in America. She pushed me away and she said, I am so much more than a woke white woman. I married your father and I'm your, and I was like, mom, this isn't about you. Right. The white supremacists don't know you married a black man Mm. and they don't know that you're my mother. You have the privilege of whiteness. You have a different experience. So then she got very defensive, very upset with me that she's not allowed to have her feeling. Like it became into, I came seeking a hug as a black child in a 49 year old black woman body, terrified that the neo Nazis and white supremacists were marching in tiki torches with polo shirts and tiki torches in Charlottesville. That's right. And then had to deal with her getting defensive about me asking for what I needed. And we have been on a journey for those five years. She's now 83 for me to try to be able to be this black biracial child of hers and help her understand that all the love and care in the world that she offers me, and it is immense, is not the same thing as walking in my shoes. That's right. That's a humility that white parents of children of color must have. Yes. And I have sat in the presence of my mother in her cottage feeling not heard, not supported, not seen, doing my own work to regulate myself. What do I want to try to tackle today, take on, tackle, help with today? And I say to myself, let me, when I leave my house and go to the other house (laughs) and my daughter's there, let me not behave in ways toward her that results Mm. in her feeling in my presence the way I'm feeling right now in the presence of my own mother. That's the laboratory. That is such a laboratory. In the moment. Yes. To recognize in 10 minutes, I'm going to be the mother on the other side of the wall. That's right. How can I work on myself to make room for my daughter to be the full and complex person she is who wants to be seen, held, supported, and heard, to know she matters, to not be fixed with my ideas and my judgment and my this and that. I have had a real-time laboratory that has been hell and also healing and also gives me hope, right? It is... um, I hope to write about it one day. I uh, hope you will, because I mean, the self that I'm living in right now would love that one too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everything you're talking about resonates and makes so much sense for me on so many levels. My my mother-in-law um, lives very close to us. And, and I feel like in, in many ways, we have our laboratory very much akin to yours. Um, and And my relationship with my mother also in there, you know, I, I think my mother and I share a race and yet I also don't feel that she knows me. Right. And that has been a constant journey. So I I think perhaps we could say for all of our listeners here that this is something to be tuned into, Mm -hmm. right? Like to, to just pay attention to that. No two people really know each other unless we take the time to slow down and listen and actually know each other. Right. Yeah. I I hear that. Did you say that your parents or your grandparents were Holocaust survivors? My father's parents. Your father's parents. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just to think back on what, what folks went through and, you know, we all come from someone who survived long enough to give birth to the people who gave birth to us. Right. And, um, can I share a small story with you? Please, Please. When I was growing up, I heard often, you know, you're the reason we survived. In other words, the idea of of future yeah. family members, right? And I, it took me forever, but I, I don't know. Maybe it was recently while I was reading some of Patrice Calore's work, or yeah. um, 
I was reading a lot about this idea of imagination. Mm. And I realized that that phrase that I had heard for all these years was actually their imagination. Like they survived in part because they were able to hold on to this idea mm-hmm. of what could be. Right. Right. And and yeah. then I realized that that was the seed. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, it's dangerous to liken any trauma or tragedy to any other, any historical period to any other. So let me just say, as I'm about to say this, I'm no way trying to equate the Holocaust with anything, just as I'm not trying to equate slavery with anything. That's what I was going to say, yes. Right? But what I will say is, I, in this moment in America, where Mm -hmm. white supremacy is emboldened, civil rights and civil liberties are being dismantled, women are losing control over their bodies, people are being massacred, um, et cetera. Trans Sorry, kids are not, all, yeah, yeah, like all of, all of cetera. it. Trans all kids, your people. Yep. The climate, widening income inequality, like all of it, we seem to be in the process of a failing system. Yeah. I have found my worldview narrowing to see my own children only and any children they might have. So I'm in this place of that are your ancestors and mine and our listeners might have been in of trying to imagine a future generation, progeny, offspring, descendants, DNA living on, trying to imagine what do I need to do today that ensures their survival and thriving in 50 years. And I've noticed my worldview, and I'm you and I are on video, your listeners can't see this, but my hands are coming over my eyes like blinders where all I can see in front of me is my chil- my two children and, and I can sort of glimpse with glee future grandchildren, right? Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> and I'm like, where do we live? Where do we live? Where do we live to ensure that they will have water yep. and safety? Yep. <laughs> okay. And I've noticed that that's been a pandemic thought for me because the pandemic, of course, has been depressing as hell and deprived of us us of the nourishment of humans as all of these other things are happening. And what I'm doing lately is forcing these blinders back open, That's right. forcing my eyes to see more than my own children and their possible children, but to see humans everywhere now, to see now, to see 2022, to read and engage and connect in furtherance of my own living now. Yes. I've decided I'm here. I'm not leaving. I thought about leaving, going to the woods, going to a place with fresh water and safety, either in some part of this country that I don't know exists or mm-hmm. some other country to protect my future yeah. generations. But I've rejected that in the last couple months. I've decided, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not yet that afraid. This is not yet a situation, I think, of an Eastern European Jew contemplating what is happening in Germany and Austria, etc. I'm not yet there. I'm not feeling that actual need to flee to protect and save us. I'm going to stay right here and fight here for what I believe. And all of that, instead of fleeing, staying, has led me to decide to run for city office here in Palo Alto, <gasps> California, as a way to address systemic problems here. Like we don't have enough housing. And we have climate action goals like any other place. And we have youth mental health problems. And these are tangible things that I can wrap my heart and my spirit and my brain around to try to be of use here right now. 
Yes. That's what I've decided means to live for me yes. right now. I, I am, I'm, I, first of all, I, when you just said you decided to run for office, my entire body <laughs> had this like, I don't know how to describe it, but this experience where my palms got sweaty, I felt this like rush up my back. I felt chills all at the same time. Like I was, I just had a big yes moment mm, So glad. and Thank I you. wanted I'll to share that. I'll receive it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It feels big. Mm. Mm. So, and I wanted to let you know that you're not alone, that, mm-hmm. um, I have had a lot of these same thoughts you're talking about, Mm -hmm. that my ancestor's story has been coursing through me for many years now. Mm -hmm. And I have been in these places and have also recently in the past year come to this place of I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to create a lot of really intentional community and I'm going to make this place the place I want to raise my kids. I'm going to raise my kids the best I can so that they can be the adults the generation that takes over this earth. Um, but I have planted myself here too. Beautiful. I'm happy yeah. for you. Yeah. I'm really happy for you. And I think it's important for listeners to hear you and me have this mm-hmm. conversation because we don't talk about it enough. We don't. And if we do, we can get into despairing mode, which is valid because this is pretty tough shit we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But I think what Rebecca and I are offering you listeners is we are forging our self in this fire and deciding that we will derive strength from it mm-hmm. and purpose and intentionality, which will guide our actions and decisions and responses. And um, and it actually is energizing and it feels good. So I have That's an right. energy now that I have lacked for two and a half years with the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get elected, but I do know back to our earlier conversation about learning and growing. I am learning so fucking much. I'm so delighted to get to be a beginner again. Like I care about these issues, but what the hell do I know about X, Y, and Z? Well, you got to figure it out because if you're going to be a city leader, you're going to have to know. I trust my brain and my heart and my intentions and, you know, will serve me in if I do win, but there's so much studying I need to do. And so I'm learning and growing and that you know, it's like watering a plant. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I just got a little stronger over in this area. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking about a lot right mm. now? Mm. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in the pandemic freaking out about stuff. Mm. And I found uh, Octavia Butler's work mm. to to just hold a space for me, in particular, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. And I can't help but thinking of in parable of the talents, um, how I, I believe Lauren ends up taking a political office, really, and and so I'm thinking of you, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just having like a moment with that. I love it. Thank so, you for sharing this with me. Yeah, the reason is I'm I'm writing it down because I don't read Octavia Butler, not because mm. I I mean obviously I know who she is and admire her. I don't read science fiction or fantasy. I don't enjoy the genres. Um, I don't know why. It's probably too much to go into right now, but I'm just, my husband and partner, re- I'm, my husband is my partner. My partner and son love that stuff. Lines the walls. Yes. Uh, but I prefer other things. So um, I've been wondering if I should read Parable of the Sower, actually. Yes. Um, but <laughs> just now that yes. you said Parable of the Talents might actually help me think more. Thoughtfully. Well, they go together. Okay. I would read right. Parable of the Sower first. And then this, it's the parable of the talents is the sequel to it. 
And from what I understand, she was working before she died on a third, but it never got finished. Okay. Um, and then if you want to go really deep, Julie, yeah, um, Toshi Reagan and Adrian Marie Brown have a podcast called Octavia's Parables, where they go chapter by chapter and discuss the books. Oh, nice. Okay. It's like delicious if you want to. And then Toshi also has an opera based on parable. Um, so you can go really deep and geek out the way I have, or you could maybe read the book. <laughs> All right. Um, I love, I'm a voracious reader. Um, being a writer, I have to read and write constantly. And yeah. so I will choose the route of the books. Um, unfortunately, I have a stack of 22 books right here. Just oh, I totally get it. That yeah. are the things that I'm supposed to be reading right now. Um, so I just got to figure out when to fit this in, but I'm, uh, I'm receiving that back yeah. you from the universe through you from, like, Hey kid, you might get something out of this that is nourishing, useful, helpful. I think you'll get more than something. Yeah. This, this particular book, um, parable of the sower and then followed by parable of the talents for me, um, how do I put this? Because it feels really relevant to our conversation it helped me grow up and see what was needed of me. It helped me focus on being more intentional about my community building. It helped me understand the need for care in our relational spaces. And it helped hold my fears and my anxieties about the world we're in, in a way that also helped prepare me for the world that we're moving into. So, and that's all from this like sci-fi kind of book. So that's incredible. Good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm yeah. delighted that, you know, that you've gone there with me. I didn't in all anticipate <laughs> when Neither did I, I said yes to this, that we would go there, but that is going to be so incredibly useful. So thank yeah. you. Thank well, you I so hope much. you enjoy it. Um, yeah. And whenever you get around to it, I'd love to hear what you think of it. Okay. Um, so let's, let's come back to, to your turn and just to your work in general. Cause you know, I, I I'm just thinking of, God, I'm about to send my kids back to school in a few weeks. Mm. Um, and our school district is going through some upheaval, as I think almost every school district in America is going through right now. Um, and sending kids to school these days just doesn't feel the same as it used to, mm -hmm. right? It's not this time of year where you're excited and make new friends and learn stuff. It's like, are you going to come home alive every day? Right? There's like a whole new thing. So I'm I'm curious, kind of holding this world that we're in and thinking about raising adults who, you know, are going to be good humans. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like, where, with all the work you've done, you've worked with youth, you know how to reach them. You've, you've written these books that have taught us how to raise adults, how to be adults. You've shared your own memoir with us. From your perspective, what do you think is the thing that we could just hold on to right now to focus on, you know, day by day, moment by moment? I, I really believe in moment by moment practices. Mm -hmm. um, maybe this it's just what I would offer. Yeah, I would offer young people and older people, um, everybody, I would say, I do say, um, get really clear on this. The only thing you are in charge of, asterisk, if you work hard at it, is yourself. Mm. You are in charge only of yourself. You can't change other human beings. 
much of life is chaotic and out of your control, but you have the capacity, if you develop it, to be very in charge of your own actions and reactions. And that turns out to be power. So in the face of all the challenges and the things that make us feel helpless, remember, you are in charge of you. You Mm. decide how to act and react. And that's your agency. And every time you make it through something that sucked, that's developing your resilience. And, you know, we'd actually derive deep pleasure and satisfaction from like, I handled that. That was some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I handled it, you know? So that the journey is not, is there is joy on the journey, but there's work on the journey and the work is actually delicious. Uh, Solving problems, getting out of conundrums, figuring things out, you know, that actually nourishes us. Yeah. So these moments are actually ripe for us to further develop that sense of, you know, all right, so what will I do with this one wild and precious life to quote the late poet, Mary Oliver? Um, that's uh, that's what I want us all to be contemplating. Again, there's privilege inherent in being able to contemplate big philosophical questions. Um, and yet I do think every one of us needs to ask ourselves, right? What? That's right. What do I want to be in charge of about myself? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it that that also helps to unlock or change kind of like how do we live each day? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our spaces? How do how are we fiscally responsible? What are all the choices we make from where and how we buy our groceries to um just to, to how we treat our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How we treat our neighbors and how we treat the grocery store clerk mm-hmm. uh, is in some ways everything. Because if we can bring a kindness of care, intentionality, graciousness to the folks with whom we interact in our space, if you do that and I do that and everyone listening does that, everybody who watches us do it, does it. That's how we fix humans. Mm-hmm. Julie, thank you so much for taking Mm. the time to join us today. I have really delighted in sharing presence with you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to to go deep with you and really want to offer gratitude as well to the listeners who've made us a part of their day or evening. Um, Notice what what came up for you, listener. As I said at the front end, I invite you to be curious about your own self in the context of everything we've discussed. Yeah. And can you just let our folks know where they can find you, where the best channels for them to reach you on? Or Yeah. Um, I know you have a regular uh, live that you do on social media. And, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that I want to direct folks to is my weekly blog. It's called Julie's Pod. And if you just Google Julie's Pod, it should come up. It's free. You can subscribe to it. So it comes into your mail, your email, but it's free. And this is where I'm super vulnerable about what I'm observing about the world around me in the context of my own life and thoughts. And I and I write that way to try to invite everybody to be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more authentic mm-hmm. with each other about what we're actually feeling instead of the performative stuff that we feel we're expected to offer. Um, so Julie's Pod is number one. Number two, I'm Jay Lifcott Hames on social media everywhere. So follow me at your social media platform of choice. I do love to engage you there. My website is julielifcotthames.com. That's where you can learn about my books and learn about my background and this and that. And finally, the book, Your Turn, that we've been discussing, the book that's a compassionate beckoning to young adults or any adults who are struggling with adulting, 
is also the subject of a TED course that I've developed with the people that do TED Talks. So if you go to courses.ted.com, there are six new courses, asynchronous online courses, 49 bucks each, just pretty affordable for many. And you'll see me delivering this content uh, about adulting. And it's it's rich video format with a lot of wraparound activities. And it's really well done because it's TED and they do things well. Um, So if you're looking to really activate this adulting, stuff within you and really push through what's keeping you held back or what you're struggling with or the perfectionism or the relationships or the money or the work or the self-care or crises, all of it, it's in there. It's a huge book. And the course is actually a more bite-sized way to digest the 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 book content. So courses.ted. I will. Out. How to become your best adult self. I will include all of those links in our show notes too, to make awesome. it easier for folks. Good. Thank you so much for joining us, Julie. Take good care. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I really enjoyed today's episode. I find that Julie offers such clarity and a refocusing that calls us back to what we can observe within ourselves, what we can take responsibility for. And that's the stuff when we really come down to it that makes this world a better place. So I, um, I'm going to practice this too. I'm going to practice right alongside all of you. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I am taking a pause with this podcast. I want to recalibrate and rediscover where we're going and what we're doing, what my goals are, what our goals are. And so along those lines, I want to listen collectively to all of you and I'd love to hear from you. So shoot me an email over at podcast at connectfulness.com. Let me know what you've been thinking. Let me know what you think of past episodes, what you might want in the future, um, where your curiosities are leaning. And in the meantime, follow me at the Why Does My Partner podcast. We've been steaming away at that and we're about to start recording season four, but we just finished publishing season three. There is a mini series that's going to be coming out very soon on choosing, being chosen, and belonging and how they function in relationships. And this show is going to go on hiatus. I'm not exactly sure for how long. Take good care of yourself, each other, and your communities. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, are relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicki, and I also offer essential skills relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack, for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Farris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you.
This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.